Welcome to the FBCLB podcast, where you'll find the preaching of Dave Delaney, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Long Beach. Thanks for listening. Romans chapter number one, and we're going to begin reading in verse number 18. So chapter one is the big number one, so the very beginning of the book. And then verse number 18 is the small number. We call that a verse. Okay, so verse 18. It's a small number, and that's so we can all stay together in our reading this morning. We're going to go down to verse number 25. Romans chapter 1, verse 18 to verse 25. Our Bible preaching and teaching method here at First Baptist Church is simply next chapter and next verse. So we just walk, walk our way through the books of the Bible. This helps keep us accountable in our teaching and preaching habits. Is make sure that we teach everything that the Bible says and don't avoid all the hard stuff. And this is also helps us to know man, exactly what we're going to be talking about next week, right? So if you want to know where we're going to be next week, it's going to be the end of Romans chapter number one, Lord willing, right? So you can stay up to date and refreshed and man, be reading ahead of time. I had someone tell me this morning, they said, Pastor, we've been anticipating Romans one. So I was reading Romans one on Monday and Tuesday. And I didn't realize how much information is in Romans 1. He said, man, it's, there's a lot of truth there. I said, exactly right. We're going to have a good time studying God's Word this morning. Verse number 18, Romans chapter 1, verse number 18. This is written by the Apostle Paul to the church that was at Rome. So to the church at Rome or the Romans. So here it is. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of Him... Okay, so look here. The invisible things of God... The invisible things of Him, the invisible things of God, for the invisible things of Him from God, from the creation of the world, are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So look look here, here's what he said. You can look at the natural world, you can see the sun, you can feel the ocean breeze. You can listen to the waves crash on the sand. You can stand at the bottom of a beautiful, majestic mountain. You can see the sun set. You can see the moon rise. And you can know that God must have made that. That's what he said. This is Paul's argument. Verse 21. Because that when they knew God... They glorified him not as God, and neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and they changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like unto corruptible man, to birds, to four-footed beasts, to creeping things. So wherefore, God also gave them up unto uncleanness 
through the lust of their own hearts, to dishonor their bodies between themselves, and who changed the truth of God into a lie. And they worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. We're calling this next section of our study in Romans a selfie. How many of you know what a selfie is? How many of you have taken a selfie? Let me see. How many of you right now, you have your phone? Get it out. Let's see it. Get it out. Let me see it. Come on. The pastor is telling you, get your phone out in church. You can do it. It's okay. All right. Everybody get your phone out. Let's see. Everybody go ahead and slide that camera button up. Okay. Let's try it. Let's try it. Everybody slide up. I'm giving you permission to take a selfie in church. All right. You're going to be in mine. Let me turn my camera. Here we go. Everybody look here. Get your camera out. Take a selfie. All right. Here we go. Ready? Snapping that selfie picture. Okay. You can post that. Selfie Sunday. Selfie Sunday. What, what, what does a selfie do, right? Here's what we do with our selfies. We see something beautiful. We've all done it. Here's, the, here's this beautiful sunset. Here's this majestic waterfall. And it used to be that when we saw something like that, we go, we stand in front of it, and we go, wow, that's beautiful. I mean, that's, that's, that's amazing. That's, and we would just look at it. Listen, teenagers, we used to just look at stuff. We felt no internal compulsion to take a picture. Just look at it, you know? Well, look at this. Oh, and, but here's what we do. Instead of just looking at this beautiful sunset or, the, or this majestic ocean or, or this beautiful waterfall, now what we do is we turn around and we make the waterfall about that big and we put our big old face in that picture, right? We snap it. Look at this beautiful face. I mean, this beautiful waterfall. And we take a, we take a selfie, right? Well, what's a selfie? A selfie is a picture of us. And here's, here's what Paul is doing in Romans 1, Romans 2, and Romans 3. So the next six weeks, selfie Sunday, okay? So here's what he's doing. He's giving us a picture of ourselves. This, this is what we look like. Instead of seeing the beauty, the power, the eternal nature of God, instead of seeing Him as God and as worthy and as omnipotent, all-powerful, as all-knowing, omniscient, Instead of seeing God as loving and kind and patient, instead of seeing God as giving and good, here's God, here He is, and instead of doing that, we take a selfie. Instead of seeing God and going, wow, look at God and look at who He is and look how beautiful and wonderful and powerful, instead, we turn that camera on to selfie mode and we say, look at me, look at myself, I want my way. I want my ideas. I'm beautiful. I'm smart. I'm intelligent. I know better than God on what I should be doing in my life. I know better than God on how to use my sexuality. I know better than God on how to use my mind. I know better than God on how to use my body. I know better than God on how to use my money. 
I know better than God. So, so instead of looking at God and going, wow, God is big and beautiful and eternal and all-knowing and all-powerful, and he should be worshipped as God, we turn the camera to selfie mode. And what happens in our lives when we do that? Well, Paul, in Romans 1, the back half of Romans 1, 2, and 3, he shows us what we look like. You ever taken a picture of yourself and your eyes were half closed? Or your mouth was like... They're always running around taking pictures of people at the church, and this, every picture of me looks like this. And I always tell the guys, delete that picture, right? Man, sometimes when we see a picture of ourselves, it's not what we thought it was. And that's what Paul's doing here. He's showing us what we look like. With God's help this week, uh, this week and next, we'll, we'll end Romans 1 and then go into Romans 2 and 3 and 4 and see exactly how we look. And here, here's, here's my aim for you and for me this morning. God, show me myself. Show me my, what, what my response should be. And God, make me into the image that you want from me, not what I want from me. Can we all make that our prayer this morning? Our Heavenly Father, I pray that you use your word in our hearts and lives. And in Jesus' name we pray. And all the church said together, Amen. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Several things in this chapter that I want you to see. I want you to see in verse number 18 that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against, and then you should circle this word, all. All ungodliness. It's against all ungodliness, and it's being revealed against all unrighteousness. And, and what exactly is ungodliness and unrighteousness? Well, he tells you at the end of verse number 18, who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Or we take the truth that we know about God, we take the things that we understand about God, whether it's through natural revelation, what we see about Him in the Scripture, or what we see about Him in creation, or whether it's through divine revelation, what we know about God from His Word, and we take these truths about God and we suppress them. We, we push them down. We bottle them up. We, we hold the truth in unrighteousness, which is we tie it up and we keep it captive and we stick it in the corner. Okay, God, I know who you are. I see your power. I see your creative design. I see your love. I understand what you did for me, but I don't care. And so I'm going to tie you up and I'm going to stick you in the corner and I'm going to suppress you. I'm going to hold you down because I want to do life my own way. I think I know better than you on what I should be doing and where I should be going and the things that I should be enjoying. And because we do this with God, because of this, God's wrath is then revealed. And you'll remember last week, we said three things about God's wrath. How many of you remember last week? We said three things about God's wrath. That, that God's wrath is terrible, that God's wrath is eternal, and that God's wrath is permissible. What do we mean by that? We mean that God says, okay, you, do you think you know better than, than I do? Okay, then I'm going to take my protective hand off. I'm going to take my guiding hand off. And the worst thing that God can do in your life and in my life 
is let us have our own way. This is the worst thing that God should do. That God would go, okay, you think you know better than I do? You think you understand more? Fine, then have it your way. Go ahead, try life your own way. And when we try to do life our own way, man, what, what does that look like? And everything in Romans 1 then flows out. This is what life looks like when you try to do life your own way. So God holds all men accountable who suppress or quiet or tie up the truth. Why? Because all men know the truth. That's what, he's just, that's what he said. God holds all people accountable for tying up the truth or suppressing the truth because all men do know the truth. So there's three ideas, and you have an outline. I want you to follow along with us. Three, three ideas about this. Number one, notice the reality of God. The reality of God. That according to Paul, there are certain things about God that are self-evident. There, there are certain things about God that are known. They're, they're clearly seen. You can, you can look at the sun and the moon and the ocean. You can look at a big mountain. You can look at a, a, a night's sky with stars. You can look at creation and you can go, there must have been a designer to this. God, God must have made this. This didn't just randomly happen through chance and, and circumstance. This, this must have been designed. It must have been made. And Paul says there are certain things that we instinctively or automatically know about God. The phrase is, which may be known of God. You, you see that phrase? Look at it again. Verse number 19. Because that which may be known of God. God can be known. Now, now look here. We don't know everything about God, but we do know some things about God. We don't know everything about God, but we do know some things. And the things that we know about God, where do we know them from? How did we learn them? Who came up with the ideas about God? Who gets to say what God is like? How do we know these things about God? Well, Paul says it's, it's known in two ways. You know it from the creation of the world, so you can know God is powerful because God made the Son and the Son is powerful. You can know God is faithful because this morning the Son came up without you telling it to do so. You can know God is loving because love exists in this world. So clearly God must be that because these things are self-evident. We, we know these things about God. That's called natural revelation. That we can know certain things about God just by looking at our world going, wow, God must take very specific care about the world when you think about how our bodies were made. If theologians call that the cosmic fine-tuning. I mean, when you think about the, the world in which we live, the atmosphere that we have, even for life to be able to exist, you must know that God is a God of detail. He's a God of order. There are certain things about God that we can see in the natural world. There's a natural revelation. But there are certain things we know about God that are, that are revealed to us from His Word. 
God doesn't tell us everything we want to know about Him, but God does tell us that things about Him can be known, and they're known in two ways. Not my ideas of God, not your ideas of God, not let's get together and have a powwow and decide whose God we like better. No. How do we know about God? We know about God through His Word, and we know about God through the, the natural order of creation. These are the ways that we come to know who God is and what God is like. And Paul says there are certain things that God discloses about Himself. What are those things? Three things. Number one, that God exists. The invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood, by the things that are made. So while we cannot see God, we do see what God has made, and this helps us to know that God must exist. Because nothing can exist without being created. Nothing self-creates. Nothing can be without being made. Right? So it, it's, it's been called the, the uncaused cause, the unmoved mover. Who is the uncaused cause? Who is the unmoved mover? God is. And God is exists. God was never created. God was never made. The Bible is very clear about this in Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God. And God was not created. God was not made. God was not fashioned. God simply exists. That's it. And God has existed, number two, for all of eternity. Look, look what he says. These invisible things of him are clearly seen, being understood. I'm in verse number 20 being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power. So the first thing we know about God is that God exists. And the second thing we know about God is that God is eternal. That for creation to exist, there must be a creator of that creation. There must have been an initial first cause. So, so what caused creation? Or really, the better question is, who caused creation? And the Bible's answer is, God caused creation. And, and the subsequent effect of everything else in our created world flows from God. So this, this helps us answer really big questions in life. Things like, why am I here? Well, what purpose do I have? Where did we come from? Who made us? The only logical, the only biblical, the only correct philosophical answer to all of that is an all-powerful, eternal God. That is the only adequate explanation for the existence of the universe that God created it. It wasn't some explosion, it wasn't chemical reaction to gases, but that God created everything that is out of nothing. He spoke it into existence because God himself eternally existed from before the world began. So we know this about God. We know that God exists. We know this about God. We know that God is eternal. And we know this. We know that God is exalted. That's what a phrase is. Look at the phrase. Verse number 20. So, the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by that which is made, even His eternal power, and then third, His, and His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So here the truth is, is that God exists, that God is eternal, and that God exists eternally with infinite power. That God is the giver of all good gifts into this life. 
You see this in chapter number 2. So go over one chapter. Chapter number 2, verse number 4. Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness? So his goodness, God is good. Do you despise the good things that God has given to you and to me? Because God gave us these things. Why? So that it might lead thee, verse number 4, to repentance. Not knowing that the goodness or the good gifts that God gives you and me, life, joy, laughter, love, breath, energy, physical capabilities, these good things that God gives you and me, He gives us not so that we can use for our own purposes, not so we can do with what we want, not so we can live life our own way by our own rules. No, no, no. God gives us these things as gifts that they might lead us to Him. God gives you and me all kinds of good opportunities that would generate then the response in our heart to go, look at how good our God is. And instead of that response, we turn around and we take selfies. Instead of, instead of receiving good things from God and going, wow, God must be amazing and God must be loving and God must be kind and God must be true and God must be generous. And instead of saying that, we go, wow, I must be special and I'm unique. I'm like a snowflake. There's no one else like me. Well, I'm, I'm the only me. Right? And instead of seeing God and praising Him and worshiping Him and bowing down to Him and yielding ourselves to Him, instead of doing that, man, we go, wow, this is all really about myself. So, so two things to notice then. God has not in this world left Himself without a witness. Psalms chapter 19, the heavens declare the glory of God and His firmament showeth His handiwork. The earth shows just how intricate and the handiwork that God has done. So there are certain things you know about God just by looking at this world. You can see that God is a God of beauty just by looking at the world. You can see that God is a God of goodness just by knowing that there are good things in this life. You can see God is a God of faithfulness because of the faithful things that happen in creation every single day. You can see God as a God of order because there are seasons that come and go. There's seasons for rain. Aren't you thankful for that? Some of you are like, we're, we're good. We've got enough. Ready for that season of sunshine. But there's seasons of rain. There's seasons of sunshine. These seasons teach us something about God. What do they teach us? They teach us that God is a God of order. That God is wise because of the, the intricacy in the, in the design of the world. Because of how specific it must have been in order for life to even be sustained. You can know certain things about God and that God does exist just by looking at this world. And we could go on and on and on about God's design of this creation that you and I enjoy, even that you and I are part of ourselves. We could go on, we could give you all kinds of statistics about how unique and how small of a chance it is for life to even exist, and yet it does, and why, and to what end, and from where, where does it actually flow from? We can do all of that, but this isn't the point. This isn't an argument for creation. This is an argument for the Creator. Hear me. God says 
You can know me by looking at the world around you. And in fact, you do know me by looking at the world around you. But instead of looking for me, all you look for is yourself. Instead of looking at the world and going, man, God must exist, and he must be powerful, and he must be eternal, and he must be all of these things, because look at what we're enjoying. Instead of doing that, we respond by going, wow, this must be all about me. The problem is not that the evidence for God is insufficient. The problem is in our own hearts. The problem is not that the evidence for God is inefficient. The problem exists in our own hearts. And that's number two. There's a rejection of God. So in the creation of the world, you can see the reality that God must exist, that God must be eternal, and that God must uh, have all power, and He should be worshipped in this way. But instead, our hearts, Paul says, are, are bent on exalting ourselves and when we try to exalt ourselves, it causes us to be blind to the obvious truth that there is a God that exists. Look at verse 21. Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, and neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to become wise, they became Fools. So even though, even though we can know truth about God, and even though the truth about God is known, we turn away from the truth about God and we ignore Him. We ignore the, the beauty, we ignore the faithfulness, we ignore the love, and instead of seeing Him for who He is, we focus then on ourselves. It's a wonderful story about a man who showed up at uh, Enfant Plaza in Washington, D.C., which is like the metro station there. And he began playing. He positioned himself against the wall in between two trash cans. He pulled out a violin, and for the next 43 minutes, he played six classical pieces. They counted the amount of people that passed by. 1,097 people ignored every note that he played on the violin. No one knew it at the time, but the man that was playing outside of that metro station was a man by the name of Joshua Bell. Joshua Bell is one of the finest classical musicians in the world. He has played some of the most elegant pieces of music ever played. The violin that he used is a $3.5 million violin. And a thousand people walked by and ignored what thousands of other people paid top dollar to go and sit in an auditorium to listen to. They asked Joshua Bell how he felt about it, and I quote, he said, it was a strange feeling because people were actually ignoring me. And this is exactly what we've done with God. We've ignored the beauty, the wonder, the power, the might, the love, the care, the design. And instead of seeing God and worshiping Him for who He is, we have passed by Him. We have ignored Him. And He isn't playing, God isn't playing music on a $3 million violin. God has played the music of creation into our lives 
infinitely and indefinitely, and we have still chosen to ignore Him. The Bible uses the phrase, and neither were thankful. Do you see that phrase? Neither were thankful. Verse number 21. Neither were thankful. So they knew God, they glorified Him not as. They, they ignored God. They passed by Him. And they were neither thankful. They did not acknowledge that God was the source of all good things in their life. They did not express to God their gratitude for all that God has provided for Him. They did not give thanks to God for the food that they ate or the rain that they received. They did not give thanks to God for the breath that they took. They took all of these things for granted. Think of the wonder that you are even right now breathing and processing and thinking without even really thinking. No, no, one, no one is sitting in the room right now going, breathe, 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 breathe. But your body is doing that. This is a gift from God. That you are even right now capable of processing countless thoughts. You're listening to me preach. You're wondering how much longer I have to go. You're evaluating the notes. You're seeing them about halfway through. You're thinking about what you're going to get for lunch. Is the line going to be long? Is it going to be delicious? I got stuff to do tomorrow. You know, somebody else would have really enjoyed this sermon. Can you believe that he actually wore that into church today? Because these are all the thoughts we're thinking even right now. Did Pastor really just let us take a selfie in church? You're thinking countless thoughts at one time. It's just firing off in your brain. And we don't even acknowledge it. We don't go, wow. God, thank you for that gift. Thank you for that ability. No, no, they were neither thankful. They, they ate and they thought and, and they breathed. And they enjoyed all these gifts from God. And they never even stopped to look at God and go, wow, this is amazing. Like, like some of us have a hard time walking and chewing gum. We can't even do both at the same time. And here you sit with your body functioning and your lungs breathing and your mind thinking and your eyes seeing and your ear hearing and you're doing all of these things. Where did this come from? How does this happen? Who gave that to you and to me? It is a gift from God himself. And we're neither thankful. You say, Pastor, why, why then were they not thankful? Why then do we end up not thankful. Because when the heart is in love with self-exaltation, when the heart is in love with independence, when the heart is in love with the pleasure of sin, then the mind will inevitably distort truth, suppress the truth, tie up the truth in order to protect the idols of the heart. Because when you are in love with yourself, then all of these things that are so obvious, you have to tie them up and sit them over in the corner and not think about them in order to continue to be in love with the idea of you. Thus, taking a selfie. Notice, professing themselves to become wise, they become fools. Verse 22. Professing themselves to become wise, they become fools. They proclaim their own brilliance. They proclaim the strength of their own intellect. 
thinking that they are in fact wiser than the one that made them. And the result, Paul says, is actually they prove themselves to be foolish above all. That instead of being wise, the outcome is that you actually become foolish. You, you, you actually become an absolute foolishness, incapable of any kind of sound logic or any kind of sound reason. You, you can't even deal with the, with the simple, ultimate issues of life. Who, who am I? Who are you? Where did we come from? Where are we going? How do we get there? What, what, what is purpose? What's our life's purpose? Do we just eat, drink, be merry, tomorrow we die, we end, go out into oblivion? And if, if we just go out into oblivion, then what's the purpose of doing anything at all? Why do we live? Why do we breathe? Why do we continue to live and to breathe? What's death? Are you ready for it? Have you even thought about it? Have you even taken a moment to consider what happens when this life is gone? No, professing themselves to become wise, they become fools. They don't even deal with the simple things. They don't even have an answer for the simple questions that life brings our way. Why? Because they've changed. Verse 23. Because they changed. That word changed, it literally means exchanged. They traded it. They exchanged, or they changed, they traded the glory, of God, the glory of an uncorruptible God into the image made like unto corruptible man, to birds, to four-footed beasts, and to creeping things. Look, look, look. They took this big, beautiful, all-encompassing, infinite, eternal understanding of God. God must be bigger than me. God must be greater than me. God must be more eternal than I am. And because he exists, I must have purpose. There must be a reason for life. There must be design. I have, I have something to actually live my life for that then I will then encounter something in eternity because of what happened. Instead of being able to do that, they trade the ideas. They exchange the idea of this uncorruptible God to something more manageable. Something they can hold. Something they can touch. Something they can put in their pocket. Something made of wood or stone or gold. Because I don't like this idea that God's bigger than me. I don't like the idea that God knows more than I do. I don't like the idea that God's way is better than my way. I don't like the idea that I have to answer to an infinite almighty being. I don't want to answer to anybody. I want to answer to myself. So independence and self-exaltation and pleasures of sin, man, these are the things that rise in the heart. And when that rises in the heart, then what do we have to do? Change, exchange the glory of an uncorruptible God for something more manageable. And while we may be more sophisticated than they were in their time, while you and I may not have little idols that we bow down to, we still do the same thing, don't we? We may be more sophisticated, but we certainly are not any different. Oftentimes, somebody will approach me, generally it's a college student, and they'll say something like, Pastor, I don't believe that God exists anymore. I've decided that God does not exist. And I always go, oh wow, good for you. How novel of an idea. You can just think God in and think God out of existence whenever you want. I normally respond with, well, why? Well, I just, I just don't see any reason for him anymore. I don't, see any be I don't see any reason for his being. 
Because God isn't doing all the things that I think He should. And I normally respond to that question with this way. How long have you been sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend? How long have you treated your sexuality like it was actually your own? This is generally where it goes. I don't like the morality laid down for me in the Word of God. I don't like the idea that God must exist and that I must answer to Him. I don't like the idea that God is more powerful than I am and eternal. I don't like the idea that I am accountable to God for the life He has given and created me. So, God must not exist because I don't like that idea about God. That's generally the way it goes. It's normally directly tied to immorality in the heart. It's not that that college student, that young adult, that more mature individual has ran into some intellectual problem with God. It's that they've indulged in some moral problem in the heart. And that moral problem in the heart has led them to an intellectual problem in the mind. It's usually the heart that guides the mind, not the mind that guards the heart. And their dishonesty in being reasonable is actually simply a refusal to deal with God for who He is, for how He has revealed Himself in the world, for how He has revealed Himself in the Word. And they've exchanged. They've traded the uncorruptible image of God for something far more manageable. So I decide God doesn't exist. And that's actually a signal of the oldest adversary in the world. Unbelief. Unbelief. Number three. So what happens? There's the rejection of God. The reality that God must exist leads us to reject who He is. We trade it. Number three, there's the replacement of God. Verse 23, they change it. They exchange it. Verse 24, so God gives them up unto uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their bodies between themselves. Look, there's a natural tie. We'll go more here next week, but there's a natural tie between the disbelief, the unbelief in the heart. Look here. The unbelief in the heart and the dishonoring of the body. There's a tie that when you disbelieve God in your body or in your heart, you dishonor God in your body. When you go, I know better than God. I don't, I don't, I don't think he, what he says about morality has to be true. I don't think what he says about genders has to be right. I don't think what he says about my sexuality I have to obey. I don't think what he says about life and purpose and eternity. I don't think those things are true. When there's a disbelief in the heart, look, there's always a dishonoring in the body. They replace him. The opposite of faith is not atheism. The opposite of faith is idolatry. It's not that you think God does not exist. It's that you do not like the God that does exist who has revealed himself in his word and in his world. No person ever quits believing in God. They just substitute something in God's place. They've just found some other little idol that they can make, that they then worship, and that becomes their own little, little G, God. 
Notice it, verse 25. Who change, look at it, who change the truth of God into a lie. Watch it. Here's what they say. Well, pastor, listen. That might be true for you. What's the next line? But it's not true for... And I'm okay. You, you believe what you want to believe, and I'll believe what I want to believe. Like, as if, as if truth is just up to interpretation. Notice the verse. Who changed their ideas of truth about God. Is that what it says? That's what your Bible says. You got the wrong one. No, who changed the truth. It's not your truth, my truth. It's just the truth. This is true about God, whether you like it or I like it or not. It's just true. So how do we deal with the truth? Well, we have to change it. So change the truth into what? Change the truth into a lie. Verse 25. And worshipped, here we go, here's idolatry, and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator, and the Creator who was blessed forever. Amen. The Creator who's always existed, is eternal, who should be exalted. We changed this truth about God. We, we, we let it be up for discussion, and we turned it into a lie, called it atheism, professed ourselves to be wise, but we're actually foolish because we can't deal with the simple answers of life. You see how that works? Man, is that not a selfie of today or what? The Bible is literally describing the way that we have chosen to do life in our culture today. Our culture is brilliantly designed for taking all these mechanisms in the heart, turning it into disbelief or unbelief, and then worshiping ourselves and the making of our own idols instead of worshiping God. And since we are created... Since we're created beings, we have to exalt something in our lives. We have to worship something. And so we will always find something to worship. We'll always find something to put our hope in. We'll always find something to put our confidence on. We'll always find something to live for. What are you living for? Living for pleasure. Living for myself. Living for money. Living for all these ideas. All, none of these things count. None of these things make it. Why? Because pleasures change. Because appetites adjust. Because money comes and goes. Because empires rise and fall. I mean, because none of these things really matter. In the end, they have no substance. So we build our lives on these things. And then what are we left with? We're left with emptiness. We're left with more questions than answers. We're left feeling longing for something more eternal. And that thing that is more eternal is the God of the Bible. Every false idol in your life will ultimately disappoint you and fail you. There's only one way to ensure that you will not be disappointed and you will not be failed. And that is Put your trust in the God who does not fail. The God of the Bible. But if you put your trust in Him, then what that means is what He says about our lives, we must do. And so now, I don't want to do what God says because I like my way better. You see, you see how that works? Say, Pastor, what do we do then? What's, what's the implication from the verses? I think it's three things. 
the implications are we should give God glory in our lives. So whatsoever you do, whether you eat or whether you drink, do all to the glory of God. Right? Like that's, that, that's Paul saying, enjoy the good gifts that God gives you. Enjoy them. And while you are enjoying them, go, wow, God is amazing to give me taste buds on the back of my mouth that when I eat food, I actually like it or, or don't like it maybe. If it's green beans. God is amazing that He designed me in this way that I can eat something and I can discern the difference between sweet and salty and sour. And I can go, wow! I really like that. How loving is God that He gave us something so small like a taste bud? How loving is God that He said, you know what? I want you to have so much joy that I'm going to put these little modules on the back of your tongue so that when you bite into a Pop-Tart, you know what manna tastes like. Or when you eat In-N-Out Burger, you know what you're getting for the rest of eternity. How loving was God? God could have made all food taste bleh. He could have done worse than that. He could have made all food taste like green beans. That has to be wrath. That has to be the wrath of God. All food tastes like green beans. How much does God love you? How interested is God in you that he gave you taste buds on the back of your tongue? So whatsoever you, this is what Paul says, whatever you do, you eat, you drink, you should do that to the glory of God. So, man, what'd you learn at church today? I learned that I can sit down at lunch, I can eat this big steak, and I can go, glory to God, bring me another one. Right? <laughs> Take two of them. Right? No, no, so whatsoever you do, give God the glory in all that you do. Recognize the good gifts that God has given you. Breath in your lungs. He woke you up this morning. He gave you strength. He let you come to church. He, did, he, he gave you a mind to think. All these good things, God's reigning in your life. Why does God do good things for us? To lead us to himself. To pull us his way. That good, give God glory. Number two, give God thanks. Give God glory. God you are amazing, you're spectacular, you're beautiful, you're loving, you're faithful, you're kind, you're, you're intricate, you're detailed. And God, thank you. Look at me. Worshippers of God are not whiners. I didn't get my way. I thought I was... No, no, no. The true worshipers of God are not whiners about God. No, because God exists, because God's eternal, because God is all-powerful, then we must worship Him for who He is, for what He says. And we should strive in our lives to do all that He has revealed to us to do in His Word. Number three, give God witness. Give God witness. Give God glory, give God thanks, and give God witness. Now, that's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to find the courage this week to talk to one of your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors, your family members, and give witness to God. To give witness to God. Invite them to come to church. Next week we'll deal more specifically in the lines of how we abuse our bodies. We'll tackle some really difficult topics. Things like homosexuality. Things like gender recognition. Things like adultery, fornication. You want to go all the way down the list? Even being disobedient to parents is included in next week's sermon. What do, you, what do you mean? You're talking about all this really bad stuff like murder. 
Changing the image of God into, into something corruptible. Having our own way over God's way. Now you're going to throw disobedient to parents in there? Yep, God does. I don't do it. God does it. And we'll try to answer some of these questions. Why, why do we see the perversion? It's not even really a perversion. A perversion would be like a changing of, like just adjusting the truth. It's, it's really an inversion. Why do we see such an inversion in our life? It's not just, not just morphing the truth. It's literally that's true and right according to the creation of the world and God's Word. And I don't like it, so I'm going to go all the way over this direction. Listen, how many of you know that's not a very popular idea? So I need two people know that. Okay. Well, you'll know next week. <laughs> so I, I need you to be here. I need you to be here. And I want you to bring someone with you. Say, hey, we're going to... Our church is tackling the most difficult questions facing our culture today. And God's Word gives us good answers. There are answers for these. They're in God's Word. And our church is tackling these ideas. I want you to be here with it, and I want you to bring a friend along with you. And then I want you to give witness to God. Give thanks to God. Give glory to God. How many of you say, Pastor, that's what I want too. That's what I want too.